We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another Buzz Beat. Whether you're listening live on Facebook, live on YouTube, or the day after on the podcast version, we appreciate you guys. The Hornets have won three games in a row. This is uh, this is a miracle. <laughs> they have secured the pig trophy. We are here to talk about the good vibes with this team. And as always, if you like what we do, please give us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your episodes. That would mean a lot to us. Uh, I'm Richie. I'm going to be joined by Brian today as we mainly focus on the newcomers and the impact they've been having on this Hornets team and just how the feeling around this team and around the season has shifted a little bit here, Brian. How's it going? Yeah, I'm doing well and uh, excited to talk. Uh, We were sort of discussing this briefly before we went live here, started recording, was... uh, it was out of necessity and it was good, good team building conversation, but so much stuff has been focused on roster overall direction, you know, thinking very you know, transaction based type stuff, whether it was the deadline or sort of like looking ahead and there's a lot to chew on there for the Hornets. And it is also very refreshing to see some of the steps they took over the last month, basically going back to the, the Terry Rozier trade. I think they set themselves up very nicely for that, but it is cool I, I say all of that to to get to my point, which is it's nice to just like talk hoops a little bit too. Like the most fun pods are, you know, when we get to like actually kind of like get into the weeds a little bit and, and talk about the team and, and what we're seeing. And uh, I think the vibes, yeah, like for for good reason, should be good going into the the All Star break. You've got you know three game home winning streak, um, some new faces in the door. Things are clicking and uh, a little bit of time off to sort of like savor some of the victories. So cool stretch. And then, and obviously like getting to see, you know, how Brandon Miller looks, you know, at all-star weekend festivities and stuff like that should be, uh, should be fun as well. That's right. He's at the, uh, the rising stars event on Friday. So it's crazy how a trade of, you know, five guys, it just makes it feel like this team is completely different like it just feels like a, it almost feels like the start of the season where it's just a new team and and to your point when we were talking about like I love talking about the on-court stuff the basketball stuff and it's like we find ourselves trying to find little positives here and there out of Bryce McGowan's or JT Thor and 
reality, like it doesn't matter because they have been so far down the bench now that these guys have been included into the rotation. Um, so we, yeah, we are here. I, I figured we format this episode to where we talk about the five newcomers and how they've affected this team. And, and since I went on a, um, OKC Thunder podcast recently. Let, let's actually start with the Dallas guys first. And uh, there's a comment here in YouTube uh, from Blitz X. Buzz City is back. I Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Buzz is back. I, I tell yeah. You yeah. <laughs> All right. I thought it was interesting uh, just the fact that Grant Williams and Seth Curry, like this is nothing new. Like they're local guys. Uh, maybe they have a little bit more motivation. Maybe they're guys that are not. You know, they don't care so much about coming to Charlotte in the situation that they're in um, because they're going to get more playtime and or it's just their hometown team. And I, I want to start with Grant Williams just because I think he out of, of the five players is like the heart of, of this team. He, he's the guy that's going to communicate on defense. He is going to yap at the refs. He's going to yap at opposing players. He is just constantly talking and trying to change this culture here in Charlotte. And he knows what the past Hornets teams have been like growing up here in Charlotte and kind of the history that surrounds the team. And, you know, I think defensively, he he just steps right in. He knows where to be. He's a good communicator on ball, off ball. He knows when to show. He knows when to recover. He knows when to slide over. And he's not a guy that's like, too crazy athletic like you just kind of look at his body and, and you know he's not going to be jumping off the floor blocking shots but at least he's in the right position to where he can make deflections and and affect shots even at a block I believe against the Hawks I can't remember if it was the Hawks but it was definitely a block that he had uh recently and he's just a physical physical guy and most of his minutes Brian have actually come at the small ball five mm-hmm. not at so those results of him at the five have been really, really good uh, so far. Obviously, it's just three games into the season. And I think with Grant Williams, I just like to start on the defensive end. And, and this is a team that desperately needs any kind of help and accountability on that end, really. Yeah, you you highlighted that very well. I saw um, Bradford Combs talking about this on Twitter earlier today. Good, good Hornets follow out there. And uh, yeah, having him come in there as a guy that's going to communicate and, and talk a lot defensively and, uh, you know, be the bridge between Steve Clifford and the guys on the floor is <clears throat> it's huge. Um, he has he's only 25 years old, but he's got a lot of playoff experience, right? 61 playoff games. That's a lot. That's a lot of playoff basketball. And the Celtics went to the finals two seasons ago he played all 24 games of the playoffs that year 27 minutes a game so like he knows high stakes basketball he's played a lot of it actually for a guy who's only in in year five these are the reasons why he would have appealed to someone like Dallas it doesn't work out there and he ends up now in a, in a very different situation something that's different for than is anything else he's had as a professional I've, I've thought about that a few times recently like for him, since he got to the NBA, it has been just like he's been on teams that have been trying to like get to the second round of the playoffs or contend for a title when he was with Boston. So this is this is different. Um, it's a young team. It's a team that's rebuilding. It's a team that is far, you know, is a ways away from being, you know, like a consistent playoff threat. Um, and so far, he's adapted and played super duper well in this role, coming off the bench. Um, you could see it right from the jump in that first game against uh, Memphis. Backup five, they're using him different coverages, guarding the pick and roll. Right, like he sometimes he's in a drop, 
sometimes he can switch out against the Hawks. You know, he's up at the level or they're trapping Trey Young a little bit during what was an, an awesome victory for the Hornets in a pretty like pretty disgraceful loss for the Hawks, man. That, that that was a tough one probably for if you're an Atlanta fan. But um I thought just his his scheme versatility on that side of the court, his positioning, um, he's obviously not like a great run athlete. He's very strong, right? Like very among the yeah, I don't know, among guys that are like under six six, he's he's gotta be one of the strongest guys that height in the league. Um, and just his processing, his feel for the game, I think all of that shows up. Um, been very, very pleased with his defensive effort. And it's been cool to see them find, a, like Steve Clifford, the staff, how they're finding a role for him on offense too. Like it is not just a Grant go space in the corner, right? They're using him uh, as a screener often and trying to get it to him on the short roll or getting it to him empty corner. Uh, he's been running empty corner with, Red and Miller with uh, with Micic and with Trey Mann uh, a decent amount as well. They're using him in chin pick and roll with Seth Curry. I know we're going to talk about Seth here in a second, but that's been those like chin pick and roll sets have been one of the ways for them to get the ball to into Seth's hand to make plays. And he's been a screener in some of those looks. And as, as I'm sure you've noticed, uh, Richie and others who have watched these games, like they're playing through him out of the elbow a fair amount too handoff sets with him that's the couple times they've gotten looks for Bertans coming off handoffs with Grant they even ran some sort of like almost flex like action to, that turned into a handoff or Trey Mann in the Atlanta game with with Grant initiating from the post too so like it's just a cool role to see him set up into and I think there's like a real opportunity for him going forward to continue to either like be like a super sub type player or, like, I think there's also the chance, depending on how the offseason shakes out, where, like, Grant Williams maybe is starting at power forward, you know, for the for the Hornets. It sort of depends on what they do with, uh, you know, with Miles Bridges. But, like, I could see that being a, a role for him now. And I think his – I think his communication, his talking yeah. will be a big deal for a lot of people on the roster, perhaps Lamelo. I think one of the guys it's going to be really good for is when he gets to play with the other Williams on the roster and Mark Williams – um, cause Mark is a really talented young defensive center can, looks like the kind of guy that could really like anchor a defense, yeah. um, big time, you know, potential as a drop center rim protector. Um, and I think Mark having covered him at Duke, I think Mark has improved a lot in terms of like being more vocal, communicating. I'm, I'm not around him, you know, with the Hornets now, like I was when he played college ball, uh, in the triangle here, but I think that's something that like didn't sort of like naturally come for, come to him just to constantly be talking on the back line and calling stuff out. It's probably contagious, right? I mean, they, if, if Grant's talking, that's, everyone else is that's, that's that's the hope, right? That's my hope, and that and that was something that like Mark's sophomore year. I mean, Coach K, Duke Duke basketball, they're constantly preaching like we want guys talking, just nonstop talk, 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 over communicate. Um, and I think that was something they had to like unearth out of Mark when they had Derek Lively. Derek Lively is talking nonstop too, just nonstop, nonstop talk. Um, but I, my hope would be that that's something that like either through osmosis or sort of just by, yeah, by being around it, it sort of like raises everyone else's level of chatter. Um, it seems like that didn't work with Dallas this year. Um, so I suppose there's some, uh, you know, can break the wrong way or there are diminishing returns with a certain type of roster. But I think with a young team, you're, you're working on establishing habits 
I think that's uh that's important. And obviously, like he's got he's not like all talk, like he's a good player too. <laughs> like he's good. He can do a lot of stuff. So um he's got the game to sort of like back it up as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't really speak on the offensive part, but you did. And I think the physical nature that he has on defense shows up on offense as well, just the way that he can set those screens. He's got that wide body. He holds his position. And it's crazy the volume that he is shooting from above the break threes. Like 37% of his shots are coming from that area. And if he's open, he's taking it. Like he's not he's not hesitating from that area. And you'll see him a lot like in pick and pop situations or you'll see him trailing and he does a good job of, of making a quick decision. And we talk about it a lot with PJ too. Like probably very similar roles in, in which the way that they're using Grant and PJ. But, you know, Grant Williams is just stepping right in three games shooting, driving, keeping the ball, moving it side to side. Uh, you mentioned this, but like out of the short roll, like he's deceptively quick, or at least he gets out of that 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 slip really, really quick and gets inside the paint. Um, so he's shown that ability as well. You know, in terms of the PJ versus the Grant Williams kind of comparisons here, obviously Grant Williams has more like experience of like meaningful basketball. He's more physical um, than PJ. You know, defensively, one-on-one, I think Grant Williams, I, I trust a little bit more. But, you know, it's it's interesting to see like this one-for-one, one, it's not a one-for-one one trade, but just this one-for-one one comparison between the two because they're filling very similar roles. Yeah, and there's some similarities to their game too. Sort of like undersized fours that play a lot, have played a lot of five in their right. career. They end up guarding a lot of the same guys. Um, you know, Grant was someone that, matched up with a lot of the sort of like big, you know, hybrid front court players when he was in Boston. I mean, it wasn't only him, obviously like, you know, Al Horford would also guard Giannis, but that's some, you know, you know, that's someone that Grant would also guard and PJ, uh, you know, often out of default, but you know, PJ was often tasked with having to guard someone like Giannis as well. I think, you know, a guy like Grant, uh, he's, you know, he's stronger than PJ. Um, I sort of like PJ's, uh, like flexibility and like uh, like rim protection, maybe a little bit more than Grant. I need to see Grant a little bit more, but I, I sort of like that component about a PJ. I think overall the dribble though, game from PJ probably is a little dribble, bit. Yeah, I think so. I just think offensively overall, like he, he like just like a better offensive player. Though, like that's not even like a like Grant can do a lot of stuff too, but but PJ just like the the kind of shots he can take and make from from deep. Um, the quick taught the, the quick shots, you know, off, off the catch, 
the, the bouncy threes, like that type of stuff. Um, but like, but there are a lot of like, there's a, you know, even some of these like elbow sets that they're running with Grant, like PJ was doing these things like two weeks ago, you know, like, so it's, it is some, it is some like plug and chug with those two guys, uh, at least as far as like Charlotte's, uh, you know, half court systems go. All right, in the three games that Grant Williams has played, Memphis, Indiana, Atlanta, he's averaging 17 points, 7.3 rebounds, and two assists in 30 minutes of play. Let's shift our focus over to Seth Curry. He's been averaging 10 points, 1.3 rebounds, 1.3 assists, and one steal per game. And he's actually shooting 80% on two-point shots. I think <laughs> the initial thing that you think about with Seth Curry is obviously the gravity that the range shooting the the distance and obviously another local kid I, I think what I'm liking a lot about Seth is the fact that you're just obviously seeing a, a larger role here but like he's really got really good control out of the pick and roll he's got solid handles he's got a good first step he uses his jab step really well and I think with the gravity of him coming off screens like I think defenders might be just kind of be on their heels a little bit more and so he does have the ability to just pull up and shoot, but because he can handle the ball and, and get inside, I think sometimes defenders, you know, like I said, are on their heels and he's able to get inside the paint. He, he uses hesitations. He creates space. And I think one thing too, he has been getting to the rim, but I, I feel like his mid-range shot is something that gets overlooked. I think this season in Dallas, it hasn't been that great, but like if you look over the course of his career, that pull-up mid-range elbow jumper is, is something that is in his repertoire. And so it's it's like the balancing act of like, okay, if I'm open for three, I'll take it. If I have a guy that's like crowding me, I'll, I'll try to use my dribble moves to get inside the paint and stop on a dime and pull up for the mid-range shot. And then if I got the pick and roll, I can I can work the big and 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 go from there or try to get all the way to the rim. So Seth Curry, uh, enjoying him as well. Obviously, I would not grade him as high as Grant just because he's not putting up the, as much numbers, but he's been very productive and and very much a uh, pleasant surprise. Yeah, I mean, first off, one heck of a career he's carved out, and yeah, just an unbelievable shooter. Career forty three percent from beyond the arc, eighty six percent from the line. Jeez. Crazy numbers, man. Big, big time capital S, you know, shooter. Um, and he's been he's been solid when healthy for a long time now. I think sometimes when he's been on some of the better teams, like you know, maybe Brooklyn or Philly, you know, he can be somewhat of a liability in the postseason setting just as a defensive piece. Um, that's not a concern for Charlotte. Um, they've got him on a really good contract. Um, and I think he's just fit in. Perfectly, a guy like that who can shoot and handle the pick and roll some, those are some of the most like malleable player types because like he doesn't need the ball, but you can also funnel funnel some initiation through him too. Um, I love him in the handoff game. I think that's something that they can chew on with Grant Williams a little bit more. Like when I think of like the best version of Steph Curry, it was the handoff stuff with with Embiid a couple of years ago when he was you know the kind of like replacing Redick almost um, in their lineup. The Atlanta game, you could see they went to that little like stack Spain pick and roll look several times out of Charlotte's uh, chin chin offense, and uh, he got a couple of different coverages on it. One time they switched to Jante Murray, from, went from Trey Young to Jante Murray, but but Murray was like pretty low, uh, like kind of towards the elbow when when he decided to switch, and Seth just like rhythms up into an elbow pull up, and it feels like when you watch him play like. It feels like he he's making that like two thirds of the time. Um, great shooter, 
and a, a good guy to have. And especially at like the contract number he's on too. Like it's, it's a nice, it's a nice piece for Charlotte and to have that shooting come off the bench when like Charlotte had, you know, especially after like Rozier was moved out, just like having a, a small guard that can float around to come off screens and handoffs and, and also operate the pick and roll and shoot from a couple of levels on the court. It's a big deal. This is something I, I want to I want to touch on, especially when we get to some of the Oklahoma City players. But just like it is amazing that the Hornets were able to thread this needle the last couple of weeks, where for the first time in, in a long time they make forever, you know, they make multiple transactions to to ship out starter level players, right? So they can get, um, you know, future assets and draft picks in return. <clears throat> but while they did that, you know. While, while bringing back other players, other salary numbers, they really also boosted the overall playmaking of the roster. And this is something that you, Spencer, and I talked about, um, you know, but, you know, after the deadline and after the Memphis game. Certainly it speaks more to just like the issues in, in the limitations of, you know, Ish Smith, Frank Milakina, James Booknight. But it is amazing that Charlotte moved out multiple starter level players including guys that played with the ball a lot, especially if you consider, you know, factor Rozier and, and Hayward, not like P, you know, PJ, you know, initiated stuff for them too, in a couple of different ways, but for them to go out and get guys that can like have upgraded their playmaking on the offense. Um, while also using that as a means to bring in future first round picks. It again, it, it does, it does speak, I think to the uniqueness of Charlotte's roster and how, like how, how dearth it was of like ball handling talent, but still an impressive maneuver uh, by, by the, uh, the front office. And uh, that I think is adding to like the overall sort of like good vibes is that like, it's just like fun to, to, to watch some of these guys play. Like they've got skills and, uh, and Curry has shot the ball very nicely uh, to start it here for, uh, for Charlotte. Been very impressed with him uh, so far. Yeah, and to your point, you know, they, they they traded away starter level players and they got back guys that are probably, you know, end of the starting unit bench players. And it just raised the level of the bench tremendously, like just talent wise. And I almost wonder, you know, maybe I'm just being pessimistic, like the honeymoon phase of just being so unselfish. This team is just passing the ball, assists left and right. It's not sticking with guys. I do wonder, will that change at a certain point? Maybe, maybe not, but like, you know, you're to your point, these guys are, are way better playmakers than that what they were dealing with in that second unit than they had before. So just kind of raising that level of playmaking. But, you know, the honeymoon phase is, is kind of like surrounding us right now. And I don't wanna I don't wanna be too <laughs> I, I just wonder could that maybe decrease as the season goes along? I think there's a chance for it to go I think there's a chance for it to to run through the entire season. Like they've got a first off, they got a week off for all star break. When they come back from that, it's just like the end is in sight. Like you're sort of through the dog days. Yeah. You know, you've got, you know, six, seven weeks left or whatever. And like, that's it. You're done. Um, a lot of these guys look like they're going to be back next season too. So perhaps there's some sort of, uh, there's some sort of like internal motivation to kind of like keep things going and, and see what happens. Right now, none of these guys should have any ego. You know what I mean? Um, these were guys that were, are getting the chance to sort of start over if you're talking about Trey Mann and, and Grant Williams or are just getting to 
a, you know, sort of like more studio space to explore in Charlotte than they had in Oklahoma City talking about uh, Misich. And um, it also does go to show you just like, man, the fact that like Mann and, and Misich could like barely get on the court, you know, for Oklahoma City, it just sort of speaks to the overall talent of that roster. Because like those guys come in and, and you can see what they do. Like the, the talent is like obvious um man it, he sort of like jumps off the screen when you watch him play so i think there's a chance for the for the vibes to stay good at least through uh the end of the season and you know who knows what happens going forward but uh i think there's a they're not going to win every game obviously they're going to the competition i'm sure will get more difficult but i think there's for them to like continue this the the flow and like the the, the desire to get into transition and move the ball and share it and screen hard and you know, look for look for guys on handoffs as opposed to just like isolating, like all that sort of stuff. Like, I, I think it's, um, I think it's good, and like, I think this also does allow like Miller to sort of like step into a, a larger, like more vocal role as well, and um, that's good for the Hornets beyond the rest of this season. It's good for the Hornets beyond next season. Like, it has value, perhaps long term, that he can sort of like find his voice maybe a little bit more. Uh, in the locker room, on the team, et cetera. Yeah, the, the trade, like you mentioned about, especially with the OKC guys, like it speaks to how deep they were, but it also speaks to how thin the Hornets were. And, yeah, totally. Yeah, opposite yeah. ends of the spectrum, yeah. right? Like exactly. totally opposite ends of the spectrum. Got a team that's competing for the top spot in the Western Conference. Got a team that's trying to get out of the cellar of the Eastern Conference. Last thing I want to mention on Seth Curry, like he's not a guy that you think of defensively, but I, I feel like just kind of going through the clips today with him, I feel like he has some active hands, getting some strips, getting some deflections. You know, he, he's going to be a guy that not, not necessarily a pick on per se, but like he is at a disadvantage in a lot of these situations. But just to be active at the least. And, and to our point earlier, like Grant Williams just communicating and making sure everyone is on top of everything. So we will transition over to the OKC Thunder players and. We will start with Trey Mann, 13.7 points, 7 rebounds, 7.3 assists. I mean, this guy is getting nearly a triple-double on multiple occasions. He is a guy that needed a, a situation where he could play. I think the biggest thing coming out of Florida, you guys mentioned it on, on a previous episode, his handle, his dribble moves, like they're just very distinct. Like when you see him do that, like snatchback dribble, he gets so low, so low that it creates so much space backwards. And he's able to shoot off of that. And he also, too, like getting to the rim, like he and Curry, I should have mentioned this earlier with Curry, pretty good at those like no gather layups where they're just kind of scooping it on the run where they don't have to take time and uh, they get the shot up a little bit quicker. And then he's just kind of racking up the the rebounds, racking up the assist. I think we've seen a little bit of a connection with him and Richards. Eight of his 22 assists have come to Richards. I think uh, I kind of went a little bit like pessimistic on Twitter the other day about his about his assist numbers being a little bit inflated. I think when he's on the move and he's getting towards the rim, that's when his assists have been good, like good wraparound passes, good dump off passes. But I do think some of the assist numbers have been a little bit inflated because there have been times where he passed it out to the perimeter and the guy just had more work to do and they mm-hmm. made something out of nothing. I'm not trying to like downplay Trey Mann's impact. Like he's been he's been awesome for the Hornets and I've been excited for the way that he has been playing. And it's interesting. Um, I would love to know your opinion on this in terms of 
position, role, this guy could probably be on ball, off ball. Like most of his stuff impact wise, like he does best on ball, but he does have some good off ball movement and relocation skills as well. And so like the conversation coming up about whether or not he can play with LaMelo, whether he can't, and maybe that conversation is better suited for like the other side of the ball. But there's definitely ways that you can use this guy both on ball and off ball. Yeah, I think the like as far as like LaMelo and Trey go, like for starters, you know, this goes without saying probably, but like, you know, LaMelo is the priority, obviously, but they're going to get likely a lot of time to play, you know, a decent amount of time to play together next season. So like, we'll get to see what it looks like. I think both of us have ideas for what it could look like on both sides of the court defensively, you know, maybe not great. You know, both guys can rebound a little bit for, uh, for the guard position, which is good. Um, and then offensively, I, yeah, I do. Th- I mean, I think like certainly like man is a guy that when you think of him, you're thinking of him, you know, with the ball in his hands, operating pick and roll, coming off a handoff, that type of stuff. I think he can be a spot up guy. Like he can shoot off the catch. He can shoot from the corners. When you put him in those situations, it also lets him attack a closeout. And, and he's got the ability to, to, to catch and go. And to get downhill, get to the paint and make passes off of that. Um, and as we've discussed plenty of times on on this pod, and, and look, I'm not like long term, the vision shouldn't be like, you know, how can we get the ball into Trey's hands more in LaMelo's less or whatever. But I gen like sort of more generally speaking, as we've discussed on the pod before, like I am of the belief that like it's good to find other ways to sort of like lower the not just like the playmaking burden with Lamelo because he's an incredible playmaker you want him to be making decisions for you but just like having it set up so that it's not always a pick and roll decision that you he gets off ball some a little bit and the ball finds him but maybe the ball finds him to run a second side pick and roll when the defense has already been compromised a little bit or it's to catch and shoot and he gets to go against a closeout you know he moves without the ball when he when he's off of it, you know you got you have to give him credit for that. Like he's an intelligent cutter, he's a willing cutter, I think, um, or like you know relocate around the perimeter that type of stuff. So I think there's a lot of ways you can get those guys working together. I mean, it's not like you know Terry Rozier was exclusively like an off ball player next to Lamelo either. He handled it plenty too. Um, you can try him some in pistol actions. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's something a well they'll go to a lot, but I absolutely think that's a a worthwhile way to to experiment. But yeah, I think next season the goal should be seeing or of the many, you know, goals and things you'd like to see more of should be like, what does Trey Mann and LaMelo look like? What does Trey Mann and Nick Smith look like? What does LaMelo and Nick Smith look like? You know, NSJ is younger by you know, he's younger and he is he's two fewer years into his rookie contract, you know? So like even then I don't want to like lose sight of NSJ because like, I think he played pretty well this season. I like him as a prospect and like, you know, there's still probably like more upside to tap into with him just because by virtue of him being like talented and and young and having fewer years left on his contract, Spencer brought up a good point though, like about maybe, you know, next season during restricted free agency, you know, you have man's bird rights, you know, maybe you're able to get him on a, you know, a, a decent sized contract, you know, good team friendly type contract to have, you know, assuming things go pretty well between now and then and how that could be nice. I think long-term 
you know, I don't think like man and LaMelo is like a starting backcourt or anything like that. And I know it's like we're three, three games into this, you know, so like I don't want to, uh, you know, it's, it seems too far, but if we're really going to like, sort of like try to run out the ground ball at this point, it's like worth like considering all the permutations that it, that it could go in. And I just, he's, he's super fun to watch. He's super duper fun to watch and his ability to create space with the handle, um, the, the pullback, the right to left pullback, the between the legs where his, with his ability to like change, change, also change directions. He had a runner, uh, in the Atlanta game where he like was on the left side of the court. He crossed over right to left and then he went, or pardon me, he crossed over left to right. And then he went between his legs, but like sort of like from right to left, but he threw it through his right leg to like come back forward. Not like, not like pulling it back, but like pushing it forward to his left hand and sort of like created separation with his guy. I and mean, he missed the shot, but I had to like, when I was rewatching the game, I had to like stop multiple times, sort of be like, well, how did he, what did he do here? And that's the type of stuff that really like makes you think like, well, do you have something here? And on top of that, it's just worth exploring. Um, and if it doesn't work out, it's fine. But like they at least have, you know, uh, some, some time this year and plus all of next season to sort of explore more. And like, that's what the Hornets should be in the midst of doing right now. It's just like establishing good habits on defense, like seeing how things can click on offense. The reason I brought the question up, I think it ultimately led to me asking myself, could I see these two starting together, Trey Mann and LaMelo? And you just mentioned that. And I, I, I don't think so. I, I think there are certain reasons why I'm just not as confident that it would work out. And I also feel like just having them like separate too, like is, is nice because they, they do have like similar play styles in the sense that like they're, they're a little bit ball dominant when they get the ball, they want to break down the defense. Um, they have playmaking ability. Obviously LaMelo is like several notches above Trey man when it comes to the playmaking, but kind of like similar roles. And I think that like having them side by side, isn't necessarily like the best thing to do. Obviously they're going to play minutes together, but explore the studio space. As you always say, I think defensively like Trey man and, and LaMelo, like they're just not very stout. So I, I do worry about like the power sometimes, but one thing I have noticed over the course of these three games with Trey Mann, like I, I feel like he does have good hands. He has good instincts on like rebounds and loose balls. Like if there is a ball in the vicinity, he is going to go down and snatch that before the other guys do. So like I, he's he's around the ball. So I, I think that's obviously a positive that's boosting his defensive presence on that end. Any other thoughts on Trey Mann before we get to Mitich? No, I think uh, I think I got most of it in there. I, I just would just say like I've I've really enjoyed watching him play. I'm excited that he's going to get an opportunity to to perform, and I'll be curious to see like like OKC has their contingent, but and it has their group going forward. But like you know, for a variety of reasons, this has not been like a good season for Josh Giddy, and um, it's you know I'll be curious to see if sort of like Oklahoma City sort of like it all. Also, long term, like I don't think Giddy's going to be on Oklahoma City for the. I think like they're going to end up moving him sooner rather than later. But like, you know, I'm sure they they kick the can on they they. I'm sure they you know kick the tires on a uh, you know man in SGA. What does that look like? But um, I'm curious to see like if depending on how the man develops, like if this sort of becomes like a a moment, a team building like moment of uh, not regret, but sort of just like um, you know 
if Oklahoma City could, you know, is able to in two years from now look back at this and say like, oh, could we have done this differently? Um, you know, would we just so we could like pick up? And I guess the point was to, you know, get an expiring contract with Hayward on the on the you yeah. know on the books. So I get that, but I don't know. It's it's interesting to consider. Yeah, they must have plans for that that expiring contract. If not, it, it doesn't make sense to me. But yeah, it feels like the Hornets definitely won this trade for a variety of reasons. And and one of those reasons, well, at least in the moment, is uh, Micic. Uh, 11 points a game, tw- two rebounds a game, six assists a game in 22 and a half minutes with the Hornets. He is a very, very crafty player. I enjoy watching him. Like He is a guy that like I want to play like when I'm at the YMCA, like just the way that he plays. He's very unselfish and obviously he can't get up like me. So we have some similarities. So we don't have he, he had an incredible like beneath the rim reverse layup, like kind of in transition, I want to say in the uh the Atlanta game that another yeah. one that I had sort of like stop and rewind on just so I could uh see it again. But very fun player and another guy who similar to man I think has really taken advantage of the like empty corner pick and rolls that that Hornet, the Charlotte Steve Clifford's giving them a lot of with with Richards or with Grant Williams as the uh, the screeners. Yeah, I remember in the first game he hit that little like a uh, hook looking pass to to Grant Williams and uh, against the Memphis Grizzlies. But yeah, he's a guy when you like look at his profile, his shot profile, and just kind of watch the games. He's very much get downhill to score, get downhill to kick it out or take some threes. Like he hasn't been great from behind the arc, but like at least the profile's there. He's not really taking a ton from the mid range. It's either from three or it's at the rim. And and as I was speaking to earlier, just kind of the craft that he has when he gets downhill, he's going to use his body to shield defenders. He likes the Euro step move. Uh, he knows when and how to probe the defense in terms of, okay, there's a gap here. Let, let me go this way versus just bringing it back out. He's got a very good feel for the game. And obviously he's a NBA rookie, but he's played 10 plus seasons overseas. He was an MVP of the EuroLeague. Like this guy, he to me, he's a veteran. Like I, I don't consider him a rookie by any means. And he's a guy that, you know, when he comes in on the second unit, he can organize it. Biggest strength is, is clearly his vision. He's he's passing to space. He sees where the the gaps are and where his teammates are going. And I think I've I've mentioned this on Twitter, but like he uses his eyes so well to hold off defenders. And and I know it's hard to pick up sometimes on the broadcast, but like, you know, looking one way and at the last second, you know, changing the direction of, of the ball or of the of the sight line of the guys and making that pass. So uh, I'm enjoying Micic almost as much as I'm enjoying man. Micic is obviously coming off the bench. Man starting. Uh, we can have conversations later about what happens when Lamelo returns, but it, it's a very, very much a, a play style that I enjoy watching out of this guy. Yeah, yeah. and looking at again, it's very small sample, but looking at some of the uh, the lineup data with Misich on the floor, uh, the Misich, Bertans, Bridges, Martin, Grant Williams lineup. So you know, four bench guys plus 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 Bridges. That lineup has played 15 minutes together so far. They are uh, plus 13 in those minutes. Uh, Curry, Misich, Bridges, Williams, and Mann. So similarly, like a sort of a smaller team. But uh, Bridges playing with four other bench guys. That lineup has played 15 minutes so far. 
um, plus eight. Again, some of this is like shooting, you know, so shooting luck to an extent. That team's eight of four. That lineup's eight of fourteen on threes, but pretty good overall. Um, and I would just say too, like, am I crazy or not? To like, we actually don't need to explore this that deeply. But like, am I crazy that just like Cody Martin's playing like fifteen miles per hour faster now than he was a couple of weeks ago? I mean, some of that might just be like he he was. Um, you getting healthy, yeah, but like it does feel like he he just he looks. I think Cody Martin's looked great the last couple of games, and it's just been super active, and he's getting to handle the ball a lot too. It's I just like to see him stay healthy, but no, Misic, I've I've really enjoyed his game. Um, good size, craft at the guard position, um, and you said it too, like not just like a veteran of Euro Euro basketball, but like an incredible resume. Like it's worth pulling up his wiki page at some point just to see. I mean, he, he was, he's one, been one of the best guards. Outside can, you of the for our listeners, Brian? can you just read it for our listeners? Just read it paragraph by paragraph. Well, let me, uh, let me pull it up real quickly. I don't actually have it in, uh, in front of me at the, uh, the moment, but it is, uh, it is pretty amazing. Hold on. Give me one second. I know you're this, good. You're good. this is always really fun to watch people Google the, on the internet here. Uh, two-time EuroLeague champion, two-time EuroLeague Final Four MVP, EuroLeague MVP, uh, EuroLeague top scorer trophy, uh, EuroLeague Finals top scorer trophy twice, uh, all EuroLeague first team, all EuroLeague second team, uh, Turkish Super League champion, Turkish Super League Finals MVP, Turkish Super League assist leader. Like I like that's literally just like half of it. Right. Um, the guys won uh, both team. Uh, at a team level and you know league MVPs on, in a variety of different countries and, and leagues throughout uh, Western and Eastern Europe. So just very decorated player. Um, again, on a great contract, like for the for the Hornets. And we talked about this with Spencer last week, Richie. But just like, especially with Grant playing as well as he has, like, like you could see Grant being someone who's you know could be a part of like the group going forward. Like he's only 25. Um, but they just have a lot of like guys who I think you should be happy to have around and happy to go into next season with too. Cause they can, they can, they know how to play basketball and they're, they've got some skill, but like the Hornets are set up to make like more transactions down the line. Um, and, uh, and Misich at the number he's on is, is good for that too. But in the meantime, I'm very much enjoying him watching him play, come off the bench and uh, give you competent, uh, you know, backup ball handling, which is something the team has been just starved for, um, for, you know, Lord knows how long now. It's funny when I went on down to dunk or maybe I had Alex Spears come on, he was talking about how when the, the tweet came out that they needed to add more salary and it was Poku that the Thunder fans yeah. were. Yeah, it's, it's when he came on with you. I listened yeah, to this yeah. the other day. He mentioned this on the episode of Busby you put yeah. out with him the other last week, I guess. So it sounds like Thunder fans are like upset that Mitic was included. Yeah, I, I I get it. He'd be a nice like in, like you know insurance you know policy to have, and again, sort of like similarly would have some value perhaps as a you know a tradable contract at some point, but. Yeah, it did the the vibe that I got from him was that they were sort of expecting him to have like not a major role, but somewhat of a role with the team going forward, and um, that's obviously not the case with uh, with uh, with Poku. And and yeah, for Charlotte to get him in house is uh, it's pretty 
something something to consider. And uh, I just love all of the sort of like again the the overall like ball handling, pick and roll initiation talent that was brought in. Um, it's made this team just like so much more enjoyable to watch because they can like. I know it's three games. Competition hasn't been great. Memphis is bad. Atlanta is bad. But it's been fun to like see them be able to like get into their stuff and like bend and compromise defenses, and then like make good decisions off of those, uh, you know, advantage situations. And uh, Misic has been a big, big part of that. Love him in the empty corner pick and roll, especially. Mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned about Cody Martin playing better. Um, I, I just think that with the fact that they've got five competent guys that have income into this rotation, it feels like players can naturally just kind of play their role a little bit better and they're not having to compensate for other players around them. So that probably helps out Cody Martin and other players too, just to kind of play your role, do it the right way and, and not have to feel like you're, you know, trying to be Superman out there trying to compensate for some of the other guys that are out there. So what's, what's also great too, is this, uh, it does sort of speak to just like the malleability of Brandon Miller because like he's still playing with the ball, like he's still getting creation reps, but like his shooting, he spaces the floor around these empty corner looks. So like we're talking about with with Trey Man and, and with Misich, like when those guys are operating, like when that happens, Miller's usually in one of two places. He's either in like the the weak side slot, like spotting up, so that if help comes at the you know if the ball handler's going dribbling to the middle, help his guy helps over at like the nail kind of area. Then it's just a one pass kick to to Miller for a spot up three, or he's in the the weak side corner, and then they've got whoever like the you know it's like so far it's been like Grant Williams, but you know sometimes it, you know, it a couple of weeks ago maybe would have been PJ or JT Thor or whatever they've got like the other like non uh, pick and roll diving a uh, big guy setting a flare screen or a pin in screen in that weak side area to kind of like get Miller or, or whomever. A, you know, sometimes it's Seth Curry now yeah, to yeah, yep, yep. catch and shoot three in the corner and just having Miller out there to sort of like be able to like amplify those looks um, while also still getting his own, you know, creation reps. It's just, it's allowing him to settle into a role that like I'm a little more comfortable with for the rest of his rookie season too. Um, and it's one that makes sense for him in the moment and also helps open the floor for these guys too. And all of a sudden, like Charlotte can play some lineups that has actually have some like that has a little bit of like more shooting power on the floor. And that's nice to see as well. Shooting power. That's a good segue to Davis Bertans. He hasn't been as like impactful or I guess involved. He's only been playing 12 minutes per game. And he only comes in in the second quarter, in the fourth quarter. He has not attempted a shot inside the arc. And <laughs> he actually hasn't scored in the fourth quarter. All his points have come in the first half. But I just I just like this guy out there. I mean, for the longest time, he was a Hornets killer. So just having him on our side is great. But just having a spacing big like that, that can come off movement and kind of like Brandon Miller, catch square all in one motion and uh, put it up there. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, is he like impacting these three wins? You know, maybe not. But like, I, I do like the fact that he has some gravity and it allows, you know, the inside uh, to be a little bit more open uh, when he's out there. So, you know, he is a guy that is, you know, is only averaging five points, but it's going to be interesting to see how they handle him going into the offseason because there's so many different directions you can go. And I've made the uh, this mention a couple of times, like, 
I would not be surprised if they just kept on um, yeah. with 16 million, but just kept him on the books. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he has the, the ETO and what, but he's also, it's also only like partially guaranteed. I tell you, right. I, yeah. So it's just like, he's, a, I mean, you know, by the start of like two seasons from now, I don't think he's going to be in Charlotte, but you know, I could see them going a bunch of different routes with him. And um, again, he could end up being a nice trade salary, a nice salary to move uh, for them at some point in time and in a variety of different, you know, sort of like uh, transactions or trades, you could see him that playing of being, being a piece of, of that puzzle. In the meantime, though, having a 6'10", 6'11", guy that can shoot like that and not just we've talked like you, you sort of just touched on it. Not I, I brought it up too in the, the pod we did last week, but it's the, it's the, the pace in the distance and the timing that he can get those shots off. Like this is not a, uh, you know, this is not like uh, even a Frank Kaminsky type or another, like he shoots threes like Marvin Williams, you know, but, but from deeper, but, but like with that same, with that same type of like movement, you know what I mean? His ability to come off screens, come off handoffs. Um, you know, he, he shoots with off movement, like a six, six guy, not a guy who's that size. And I just think having someone like that is super useful because it just makes half court offense easier. Having, having a, a spacer out there like that and a shooter out there like that. And I think that's good for the young guys and the the young you know core of players to have on the team. The only thing you wish he could do a little bit more of, like outside of like, you know, it'd be nice if he could defend. I don't think he's like an amazing playmaker. And you would think a guy like that with his gravity as a shooter, like if he could do a little bit more, you know, put the ball on the court a couple times or make a pass or whatever, like he could really be like a, you know, a game changer offensively, but sort of is what he is, which is still a, a very useful you know, back up uh, forward because he has the ability to um, uh, to to shoot. And like, I kind of like the pairing with he and Grant Williams too, because like you can find the matchups, you need to have Grant guard opposing centers and you can still play five out offensively, right? With those two guys. So um, there's some interesting combinations they, they can, uh, they can get to. And I think he, I, I, I don't think they should be any rush to sort of like make a decision on him and, and sort of can like, again, take their time with him the rest of the season uh, and then go to the off season with maybe more of a plan. Yeah. All I ask is that when he's out there, he just makes a timely shot once in a while. Like that's just what I'm <laughs> in those 12 minutes of play. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to end on this. It was a good question in the chat and we'll, we'll kind of wrap up here from regulator who goes to the bench when LaMelo returns man question mark and so i'm sitting here thinking about this like currently speaking man i don't mean i know i just talked about it how i didn't like necessarily want Lamelo and man to be starting but i think i would probably stick with ball i mean this might not be great ball man miller bridges and richards and almost to keep Michich with that second unit, I know the staggering takes place once when the game starts. So I don't know if it really matters all that much, but that's kind of how I would stick with it. Unless you, what do you like put Cody Martin, I guess, keep him in the starting lineup and, and move man to the bench. Yeah, I could see, I could see that. Yeah. I could see that just because like, um, you know, Cody's been with the team. I mean, he's the second longest tenured guy in the roster now. Um, he's playing well. And, um, while he's not purely like a defense guy, I think teams 
typically start defense? Start defense and slide to offense. Um, but who knows? Maybe they want to stagger man and, and Misich more. And if that's the case, yeah. So there's a couple of routes you could go with it. I think it's interesting to consider this even into next season. Um, and obviously, like that'll depend on what the what the Hornets do this offseason in the draft, what they do with with Miles Bridges. Um that could impact some guys like Grant Williams. That could impact, uh, you know, where Brandon Miller lines up, if that matters. I do think, like, for at this point, looking into next season, three guys you can, like, put in pen for starters are LaMelo, Miller, and Williams. Bridges, if he's still around. Um, but I think that's a question mark, and I think you have other question marks to sort of, like, fill in. I think Williams has the chance to be, like, either the sixth man or like the fourth or fifth starter. Um, but there's a lot to sort of like shake out between now and then. And that, that sort of like starts with like what ends up happening with Miles Bridges uh, this off season. But for the rest of this year, um, I think it maybe also depends on just who you want to see LaMelo play with the most too, you know, and like figuring I mean, that may shape how you want to, um, you know, sort of like augment your lineups and stuff like that. But but my guess would be man goes to the bench. And so it would be Lamello, Martin, Miller, Bridges, and and Richards. Yeah. Now that I think about it, that's probably the way it will go. But I don't necessarily care one way or the other. Um do you watch much of the All-Star Weekend? I mean, I feel like over the years, I used to like religiously watch all the events, three-point shooting contests, skills, and the dunk contest. But now that they've got like the the G League guys in there, and I don't know what it is with like the NBA stars just not wanting to participate in that stuff. I mean, ego, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that like the, you know, who knows, the risk of going viral for the wrong reasons. Uh, yeah, I suppose all of those types of things. Um how, you know, I don't think there's like an injury risk, but maybe there's that as well. No, like All-Star Weekend, I think it's cool. Like I, I like it less now than I did, you know, a couple of years ago. But part of that for me is like, um, you know, as much as I love the NBA and I really do, like this time of the year, I'm pretty locked in with college basketball. And so just like there's no off week or off weekend for that. Like that's still going on. So for me, it just becomes like a week where it's like, okay, there's no like Hornets games that I have to like watch. So it just gives me a little bit more time to to focus on this this other thing that's kind of coming down the stretch too, you know? Like, you know, we're a month away from conference tournament play in, in college hoops. So if I do, if I am to like partake in anything all-star weekend wise it's like probably on in the background if yeah. i'm like cutting up like you know college tape or it would be like if i was out with you know friends or it's you know on at the bar like then i would then i would sort of like be very interested to have it on as like a, a background object to stare at but um short of that it's just like not quite the appointment viewing experience that uh that it once was but i even i would even say like there was a period of time where I was not as focused on covering college basketball as I am now. And even then I would sort of like use more like the NBA was more of my main focus. And even then I would sort of use all-star weekend to like catch up on like, you know, TV movies, books, like that type of stuff, you know? So um, for me, it's sort of like a time to like catch, catch breath a little bit. And so I I kind of look forward to it um, from that, from that perspective. 
Yep, I got to catch up on the traders. Good show. If you guys have not watched, that. I've heard there was a, there was a Kelsey McKinney wrote a piece about it in a Defector today um, that that got me very interested in it. I've been watching uh, season four of True Detective. Uh, I about that was out. I forgot that was out. I cannot. I am. Um, I'm not going to recommend it. <laughs> like it's. Uh, I mean, check it out if you want to, but I have lots of thoughts on it. I don't okay. think it's been particularly. It's not uh, as good as season one or season three. Oh my God, no, yeah, okay. uh, no, it's certainly not. season two. Season two territory is what you're saying. Yes, definitely. I mean, like, I think Jody, I think Jody, Fo- Jody Foster's in it. Like, she's awesome, but even she can't like save the show. <laughs> uh, like, but big fan of Jody Foster, she's tremendous. But, uh, but yeah, no, this season is not. It's not. Uh, it's not it. I thought Let's the setting was very interesting. Uh, the that, setting I, that's maybe the best part of it. Oh, like, really? Those, for those who don't know, yeah, it's in this like very spooky fictional city called Ennis, Alaska, that is in like the like the the heart of winter. So there's no sunlight for several weeks or whatever. Um, and uh, so the setting is cool. And it's like you know, it looks miserable. It's cold, windy. There's no sunlight, you know, or very little sunlight. Um, but the writing is bad. <laughs> like. It just has a lot of holes uh, in it as well. Um, so, yeah, again, like it is like, you know, I, I, I like have watched all the True Detective shows. So, like, I'm going to see it out. There's only one more episode left, but uh, it's not it's not been uh, it's not been it's not been them delivering uh, the fastball here. This has been uh, this is not them having their best stuff. All right, everyone, catch up on your shows this weekend or watch the uh, the Rising Stars tournament. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cool format. They have four teams, three games. It's like to like this specific like point total that they have to get to. Brandon Miller obviously is participating. I may catch it. I may not catch it. Who knows? But uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in for another episode, whether right here on YouTube or Facebook or whether you're listening on the podcast version. We appreciate you guys supporting us. For Brian, I am Richie. We'll talk to you guys later. Thank you.